0: Welcome to the J2 Hub podcast, where we focus on everything from property development, hot entrepreneurially business topics, and real-life scenarios facing business owners just like you and I. Brought to you by James Sohota, we bring you exciting real-life property, business and entrepreneurially related hot topics, and that little bit more. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 13 of The Property Duo with James and Tej. James, we will start off today, of course, with our usual "What's happening with each other." Mm -hmm. But the topic of today's conversation, for anyone who hasn't seen the emails, etc., is risk in property. So this means essentially the levels of risk in property, how they change across strategies, the realities of risk, and the rewards that come with various levels of risk. So we're talking about buy to up until development, which pretty much covers the spectrum. We're not going to cover planning and little bits in the middle of it, but we're going to cover the kind of big things that most people talk about and want to do and the small things that I do a lot of. Cool. So, James, you're going to go first this time. Tell me about your uh, your last week.
1: I've had a great week, actually, man. Um, you know, obviously, I, I started that uh, whole Women in Property podcast series that I'm doing at the moment, where I'm speaking to loads of interesting women. And you know what? I, I've just been so amazed. You know, I always knew women were doing massive things in property, but unlike men, they try, they kind of keep it on the D-Lo. They don't really, you know what it is? I'm learning more that they don't brag. The men will brag. They'll say, you know what? I'm doing this development. I've got 12 rooms going on. have got all this peas coming. I'm going to be super in women don't do that they're quite undercover they just go about their day just get stuff done and the more ladies I'm speaking to I am blown away at the level of project ladies are working on like you know ladies within our network ladies within our Facebook group or you know ladies on the Instagram or even people that join us on this call are working on some amazing projects and you know they have some amazing systems in place ways of forecasting projects assessing deals and it's just been a really nice series to record because not only am I really enjoying the recording but I'm learning so much and I've actually you know I've been using it to my advantage in the sense that I've I've sent out some deals to be assessed by some of the ladies and cast their eyes over it you know obviously they've looked at it and said that's wrong this wrong that wrong this wrong you know like they would um, and uh, yeah I'm so glad I did that series like really really super glad and there are some clever people out there and as the weeks are going on, they're just getting more and more clever. So, yeah, that's been a really, really good highlight for me. Um, HMO, finally back in control. Uh, you know the fiasco I've been having at the moment where they're trying to counter-claim. So, I'm for the people that don't know, I'm claiming against my lettings agents for loss of rent for nearly four months. Um, we had a rent-to-rent agreement. They're trying to claim against me for uh, not paying back a deposit. They never gave me a deposit. Now, this is the joys of having a membership with the NLRA. Uh, You know, you pay 75 pounds a year and they are just absolutely fantastic. I spent two to three hours with them on the phone for this particular case. And the advice they've given me has just been phenomenal. So, um, you know, if you want a link to that, it's in my Instagram. If you just go through the feed, you'll see a link there with a discount code or get you some money off of that. I highly recommend you all sign up because uh, you need a bit of advice. If you're stuck, those guys are going to tell you how it is. So for me, Basically, they can't claim against me because uh, they don't have an AST contract. So I could pretty much tell them to go and do one. And you'd think, as letting agents who have been operating for eight years, they'd know this. But, you know, obviously they're a bit thick and they don't. So apart from that, got a refurb starting on the HM in two weeks' time. Really, really looking forward to that, taking it back to Brick. Going to do something nice and special because the house deserves it. Uh, And still plotting along with the other duo up in the northeast. Over to you, sir. What's
0: going on with you? Nice, I have to big up the NRLA as well. I haven't used them as much, but I just know any problem, like the problem you had with your LL agent, a solicitor would charge you what? 200 quid an hour to just talk about 100%, that? 100 yeah. yeah. And you've got it. I mean, I think we both paid less than 75 because there was a discount code online. And if people use our codes, they get even cheaper. It is honest. I actually cannot believe how cheap it is. Like, it's unbelievable how much you get and how cheap it is. So and the level of their support- chat... Yeah. They get back to you so quickly and it's just objective. It's just, here is the answer. Here's the law. Here's the document. So especially if you're self-managing like I am, really recommend them. So yeah, my week, um, I've kicked off, I think another, I kicked off an agent off one of the houses I was selling because they were also doing some lettings for me and they pissed me off on the letting side. So I just said, you know what, you can just jog on generally. They, did, they weren't too bad mm-hmm. on the sales side, but I said, I'm not giving you any money because you're shit. So and I'm going to put a complaint in as well with them, which they don't know is coming. So it's coming. Um, and then I have got a few viewings already for that property. I took off of them. I've had offers and viewings on my flip slightly below asking, but I just want to get rid of it because it's such an annoying house and it's taken so long. One of my other flips where we had a new roof and render done. Um, I sent a sourcer over cause I was like, listen, I want to get rid of the house. If you can source it on, give me 50% of your fee just do it. Like, please just get, just get this house sold. Cause it's been an absolute pain. Like this, one of them, my third flip, which was meant to be a keeper. And she sent me a video and like the walls were wet. The render uh, appearingly hadn't been done properly. Um, chimney wasn't sealed properly. I mean, the trade got paid a lot less long story short, but I basically called him and said, we're going to have a problem slash. We have a problem. Get your ass down there. She's going back Friday morning. Um, but he's known, I've now realised, as someone who often gets, um, how do we say this? Gets taught a lesson by people. You know, he's been taught a few lessons before in the sort of community um, from, like, people that I know. So me and someone else may actually be taking some legal action against him as well um, once this is resolved. So all good fun and games, and I can't go to Wales because it's still on lockdown. Like, I can't legally enter it, and I can't, like, stay in an Airbnb. So... Yeah, I'm just sort of like, cool, cool. Just building up all the tension, ready to go. Uh, for when but I You I have your own Wales.
1: Airbnb, though, in Wales?
0: I do, but it's, it's fully occupied. Oh, right, okay. okay. And, uh, I mean, it's in an area that is very far from most of my properties. Not a problem. I mean, when I go up in July, I'll probably... The, the issue with staying there is it's, I don't know, what, 90 quid a night or something or 100, whatever. I can stay in an Airbnb for 25 quid a night, so net... It's not. It's not worth me staying in it. Why so, am I not surprised?
1: Why am I not because surprised? I'm
0: a, because I'm a business man. That's Jay Z. You're said. a penny. You're a penny pincher. That's what you are. So, anyways, um, I need money for shampoo and hair oils, don't I? So, yeah, that's that's been that on property wise. So it's been pretty annoying, but I've got a property that's been finished today, and the carpets are going in Tuesday. Uh, so that's good. That's another one finished. And I've got two others that have been let and are still in referencing, We're just taking the piss. Um, but yeah, otherwise I've, I've blocked, I think seven more people in the last seven days. So one a day, um, some proactively, some reactively. I think there's less going on in the media. So sort of people are less sharing their opinions and their, their closet racistness. So I blocked less people, but um, I'm still, actively doing it so yeah it's just been it's been pretty stressful to be honest with these houses and all this stuff going wrong but I just thought you know what everything always goes wrong for James and if he can handle it with a smile on his face so can I you know so big up James for getting me through that that was a compliment no thank you thank you I'm (laughs) gonna take it as a compliment as well just want to check in on
1: how your mental state is, well man how's your mind doing you know we're in lockdown obviously you're not getting out much How, how are you feeling do you need a chat do you need a hug Partner, has my mum has,
0: has my mum texted you and spoken no. to you about me or something? Because it sounds like sh- her words. No, no, no. I'm just checking in. You know, being older than
1: you, and people often conf- confuse me as your dad. I just thought <laughs> I'd do the, you know the parental <laughs> thing,
0: and just see if you're okay. Um, uh, I, yeah, I'm going a bit. I'm going a bit stir crazy. Um, the heat is nice. I've got an olive tree. So, mum bought me an olive tree for my birthday as part of some gift. I love wow. olive trees. So, I kind of look at it and then just pretend I'm in Italy. You know. So, yeah, I'm all right. I am, I am going a little bit uh, crazy. I don't understand opening up lockdown to sit in pubs, but you can't, like, merge with your partner. Or- it, oh, fucking whatever. It's your boy. Well, it? but, you know what? I
1: might, I might come and see you this weekend because I'm going to be quite close by to where you are. I might just come and knock on your door and say hello. I'm, I know that would be a very nice treat for you. And just let me know. I'll make sure I'm not at home then. So, yeah, sure. Um, Sorry, and right. before we go on. What's going on with that roadman pigeon of yours that's been living
0: in your conservatory that you told me about the other day? It's not a pigeon. It's a, I don't know. It's a blackbird with an orange beak and it goes into the deck and it will just go in the deck, sit on the chair, like it'll hop in, go on the deck, go on the chair and then jump from tomato plant to tomato plant, sit on a succulent, which can't take weight on it and then fly out. I'm like, okay, what, what, what are you doing? So we've got a very curious bird, um, roadman bird, we're calling him. I heard, I heard he's been staring you out as well. Like, you know, he's not even scared of you anymore. Well, he did get a snail off a wall, break it in front of me and eat it and leave the shell for me to tidy up. I didn't tidy it up. I just said it'll decompose in like 100 years. But he's he's threatening me, to be honest, this little bird. Bastard. Right. <laughs> let's talk about risk, James. Let's talk about risk. So you do HMOs and developments and the odd Mm -hmm. buy-to-let, unless you have to pass the deal on because of uh, paperwork in an auction. Um, I do (laughs) buy-to-lets, purely buy-to-lets. So we both have, I think generally as people, we have different risk appetites. I think anyone who watches us both will probably see that. Um, And naturally, I think what we do in property probably reflects our risk appetites. So I guess guess what I want to run through is, the differences in bite alerts, HMOs, and developments. Developments means getting some mud and making a house. I mean, you could put commercial conversion in there, but I think it kind of flirts in between some of them. I want to just talk through the risks of each sort of level, but also there's a lot of people who say, right, I want to go straight into developments, 10 million GDV, whatever, bruv, let's do it. And that's cool. That's cool. But I think there's a lot of risks with that. And maybe there's a different way to start, but that's my opinion. James might be totally different. So, James, let's, st- let's start at the top end. Let's start at the most riskiest and the most rewarding and longest time frame and just the most of everything, which is development. So you have done a development in, sen- in, in London, central London? It, it's Southwest 17, which is just uh, in
1: Tooting. So it's uh, a really nice up-and-coming area um when i bought the land it wasn't a very nice high street but as the year and a half went on you saw all those little bougie bars opening you know really nice little uh places that sell you coffee for six quid and you pay it because it looks so nice you know loads of trendy places to eat and uh yeah it's a really really nice area so yeah my my first development was done there it was at you know highest risk ever you know like i've never done a development before um, my risk appetite is, uh, you know, I'm I'm quite I'm one of those people that's all in, or I, you know, I'm not really interested. I want high rewards, so I will risk a lot more than people. And you know, uh, judging by my past experience of you know losing my print firm, I was ri- I, I I will risk it all. Uh, I've slowed down a little bit. You know, my saying used to be, "I'm young enough to get back up." You know, and and go again. I know Ted is probably going to crack a stupid joke now, <laughs> something to do with my age, but you know. I feel my whole whole motto was, look, I can get back up again. Um, Obviously, as kids have come along and families come along, I'm a little bit more wary because, you know, when you start risking it, or I don't really want to be on the street with two kids and a wife because that's just stupid, you know. But when I was on my own, would I have risked everything? Yes, I did risk everything. I'd put my house on the line. I'd put everything I had on the line because at the same token, yes, it's high risk and people were saying, what the hell are you doing? But at the same time, there's that little thing in my head was saying, when this goes right, the reward that's going to come off of this risk is going to be phenomenal and it's going to be huge. And that's exactly what happened with the new build. It was such a, you know, it was a, it was a painful journey, a very, very painful journey, but the reward at the end was just flipping awesome, you know. And the lessons, I take away the lessons learned from it as, you know, I, I, I couldn't have been taught those in a classroom or a course, but, you know, now I can share those lessons with people because I've lived it, breathed it and done it. Uh, but I would say, yeah, as Ted says, new builds are very, very risky strategy. And even people like, you know, Richard Little, who's built over 4,000 houses, even he says it. You know, he's a new build developer. He's His line whenever he starts a podcast or a talk is, you do not want to do new build developments because the only time you're going to make money is on a rising market. And this is a guy who's, who's done so many developments. And he's absolutely right. If the London market hadn't risen the way it had, I would have lost out completely. I would have lost a shitload of money and be sitting there on the street asking for some spare change, you know, like this. So, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. Well, yeah, you know, them ones, don't you? They're ones that fake it all the time with a cup just hanging out and they're doing a weird yoga pose.
0: Oh my God.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Love, you know the one. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, very, very high risk, but very, very high reward. Again, and you wanted me to share some figures, so I will later on. Uh, unless yeah. you want me to do
0: that now. Well, you know, we'll go into the detail of the realities mm-hmm. of risk and how to calculate it. So, moving on from developments, then, um, with HMOs. So, you do HMOs. You know, do you yeah. do you see them as high risk at any point in their life cycle, or do you not? How do you perceive them? Do you know what? Um, I never used to see them as high risk, but since
1: obviously since covid's happened and all this nonsense i'm a little bit more skeptical on my deals and i'm analyzing things a lot more and like oh, i was saying to you the other day yes i am yeah i'm not just going of <laughs> <that'll> course cost- <laughs> how much is that oh, which way is <laughs> the wind blowing that's you your know,
0: pre-covid assess that's your pre-covid spreadsheet did, isn't it Lee? that
1: yeah. if if anybody wants something assessing just send it to me i just gotta check which way the wind's blowing and i can give you a uh Uh, you know an honest opinion on it but you know like i was saying to you earlier on this morning i've really had to kind of get my ass in gear and i had a massive kick up my ass the other day by someone who is so damn good with figures that he drummed my deal down to you know he really ripped it apart and the fact that i was twenty seven thousand pounds out of what i thought it was going to cost that is a huge amount of money when you're looking at a deal you know and um I, I'm now beginning to realize that yet, HMOs in London will work, you know, because people will pay the money. But again, buying the property is so expensive here in London. Where you're buying it up north, it's a lot cheaper. But I'm now finding that my risk uh, assessment on them is, is a lot more in depth than it was previously. Whereas previously, I would have walked around a property and said, okay, six beds, I'll get the bathrooms in, nice size kitchen, nice size diner, done. How much do you want for it? Here's my offer, I'll buy it from you. That is it. Whereas now, I'm having to go back and consult people that are a lot more cleverer than me when it comes to finances and figures and say, look, can you cast your eyes on this for me, please? Can you cast your eyes on this for me? Because I, I, I want a second, I want a third, and I even want a fourth opinion nowadays. And I'm finding you know, power of the network through the network. You'll find people that can do that for you,
0: if you're yeah, nice, obviously. On- it's it's good that you're getting you know using people, which is not your strength, to fix that area. I mean, I just want to I just want to go back and just re-emphasize because you kind of glossed over it there. Twenty seven thousand pounds short. That's um, that's a fair. I mean, I think what James wasn't doing was using the free Property Duo spreadsheet hashtag plug. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the when Property I used Duo, that, was, uh, spot on. <laughs> the Property Duo slash hi. There's a free spreadsheet and you can use it for HMOs. We've made it for both. James, maybe you should download a copy. It's free to download. So just download a copy would Would help with the 27,000. It's the one I use, but it was something that I overlooked on something else, which is a bit stupid. Interesting. So I, uh, but that kind of risk can happen on anything, right? Like I think with HMOs, I see the risk in the exit because, okay, if you've done maybe one to two on suites, yeah, a family will still buy it, you know, because it, it makes sense. If you've done all en-suites and it's like a full militant HMO, is a family going to buy it? It's more likely an investor is going to buy it, right? It's more likely you're going to have a different kind of market, which is more limited, right? Whereas with a normal house or a a lower sort of type of HMO, you've got families, normal people who buy it, and investors. So I see that as a risk. I also see just having it as a risk, regulation, laws, council, all this kind of stuff. And just the general risks of HMO. That's how I perceive it anyway. Would you but, agree you know that what it exists?
1: I think if you were going into it with a fresh pair of eyes, you've never done one before, yes, you would see it like that. But mm. you know, once you go through the regulations, you find that it's it, you know, it gets a lot easier. There's a certain checklist that you go through. And yes, you've got to get a HMO license, and the councils are really, really They're actually quite, they've thought the system through. They send, you know, there's a PDF you can download. And if you're not in a busy, busy area of the country like London, up in the Northeast, I mean, the HMO officer actually came out to see me. We had a spot of lunch together, you know. It was a really nice... It was a really nice process working with him because he talked me through what needed to be done. He actually held my hand and said, look, this needs to be done, this needs to be done, this needs to be done. And as long as you address all that, then you're going to have no problems getting your license. So I think the legislation and the legalized, the legal bit of it is all good. It's all good. It's not that difficult at all. But like you say, if you're looking for a refinance on it at the end, that's where it gets tricky because you got there are multiple strategies on getting it refinanced. Now, if you want a full commercial valuation on the property somebody's going to look at this property and the, the, the valuator is going to look at it and say can I buy next door and convert it into the same thing James has done here and if the answer is yes you ain't getting a full commercial valuation because you've done nothing different but take a house and chuck a couple of bathrooms on it and I was having this conversation with a broker the other day and he said to me goes look James if you want for sure a full-on commercial valuation where it's going to be done on say you know times 10 of the income yearly minus 20% or whatever. And that's how they get your valuation. If you want that kind of solid valuation, your place has to look like it's been purpose built, you know, purpose built to be a HMO. And that might be putting in small little kitchenettes or dry kitchens in a couple of the rooms or arranging it differently where it, you know, where you walk in and you think, no, this is not a family house. This has been arranged totally different and it's purpose built. Whereas if you end up getting a bricks and mortar valuation on it, you know, I'm sorry to say you might end up getting a valuation way lower than what you've spent on the whole project. And that's where it does get a little bit scary, you know. So I think you're right. In terms of the exit strategy on them, Ted, yeah, you gotta you gotta have multiple strategies. I mean, my strategy now on our HMOs up north is well, our first strategy was students. We've now brought in professionals, we've now brought in contractors, and you know, we've also looking at a strategy where we might even sell it on to an investor who wants to take that on board. So there's four different exit points, whereas before we were taking it on on the basis of having one. But yeah, so managing the risk now is is getting a little bit more in depth and you're thinking more, you're thinking more.
0: Yeah, I think like with anything, right? The bigger the reward, the bigger the risk. I don't think anything in life of any kind of reward, you know, has a e- low risk, high reward. You know, like if you want more money, you've got to put more money on the line. You've got to risk more, you've got to give more, you got to... I think that's a general principle, but I think in property we sometimes forget it cuz we're like oh my god cash flow hmos a grand a month or oh, but then we kind of think don't think oh hold on a minute what about what you just said you know that having those four exits do does everyone think about those kind of exits because yeah. that's a strategy in itself right building hmos selling them on to investors at a sort of yield calculation or room based calculation and making profit if you've got the team if you've got the knowledge it's like a flip but you know, you may make more money and you may have a sort of guaranteed sale at the, you know, so it's, it's a great model, you know, like if, if you do, you you know what the other, the other thing you've got to remember is you might be looking for a
1: certain uh, ROI on your project, but you'll find that investors down South are probably looking at way less than that, you know, Mm. and sometimes you think to yourself, what? You must be crazy, but you got to remember, they might have a group of people that have invested together, and the group have turned around and said, Look, you know what? We only need 12%, we only need 11%. Whereas with your HMO, you might not touch it unless you're getting 25% minimum return on investment. Uh, Whereas somebody down south, a group of investors, there might even be people coming up towards their pension who are saying, You know what? we'll, We'll take 10, we'll take 11 And then when they see your deal, you put your deal up, it suddenly becomes so attractive to people to take on as a running concern, and it just, you know, it's another exit strategy if shit hits the fan and something else doesn't work for
0: you. And then let's go on to buy-to-lets then. So what I do, I think the risks in buy-to-let are generally pretty minimal. I think, especially if you're doing BRR, the the main risk that I have is probably the same risk everyone has, which is getting the end value you know, getting the valuer to see the value of it. Um, otherwise, you know, looking at a refurb, yeah, of course there are risks, like I just said with this property where, where it's leaking. But that's not as expensive as fixing, you know, uh, all the complex plumbing or wiring in a HMO that might go wrong or fixing something on a development that's like, oh, we've built the foundations too shallow. Oops. Like, you, I, I have that problem because oh, do you know that? Dealing. Do you
1: know someone that happened to? <laughs> <clears throat> I, 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 actually as I said
0: it, as I said it, I, um, I thought someone didn't dig deep enough, but uh, you know, yeah. we'll get to that. We'll get to the issues of of that. <laughs> so, you know, with a buy to let, generally, what you're doing is fairly kind of cosmetic. You might be replastering the whole house. You might be mm. kind of maybe going back to brick, but it's it's fairly kind of you're doing it within the structure it exists in. So I don't see a lot of issues with the refurb of a buy to let when it comes to letting it and getting tenants to stay there for 10, 20 years that's what they're for. And that's what they're about. So I see them as the least riskiest to buy, to refurb, to purchase, to own, to maintain, you know, if something goes wrong or something needs to be edited or changed, I find it very easy in a buy to let to say to the Sparky, can you just change that? And it's like, yeah, done easy. Or to the plumber, can you just done, you know, it's so much easier um, in a buy to let. And of course you're, Rewards are less, which we'll get to, but, you know, as a starting point for people, I think you, I personally think you should do a buy-to-let before doing a HMO and you should just do maybe a couple of buy-to-lets before you do um, a development. And I know it's different because you know, there are different types of things, but once you understand refurbs on the in- inside of a house and construction and terms and why you plaster and why you use foil backboards and fire boards and acoustic boards, and all this stuff, when it comes to the development, you're learning the ground part, but the rest of it, you kind of know. So you're not being taken for an idiot and, and lenders. I mean, a broker might correct me here, but you'd probably be a bit better in the eyes of a lender. If you say, look, I've got a couple of bites of lads. I'm a land Lord landlady. And I'm, um, you know are you can trust in me i think it can Mm. help your case so yeah i think for me they're the natural starting point but you can have i mean i had someone on my podcast with how many bite letters did he have 200 maybe Mm. maybe 280 or something like that um you can just keep buying them and sort of let and forget as people say don't do that because um Mm. you'll miss things but yeah, I like by to So James, like
1: you said there as well, Chet, you know, you with a Bitelet, to you know, it might be a cosmetic refurb. It might need a boiler. It might need this. You know, let's not let's not, um, you know, miss the point here with a with a HMO. It's going to be a lot more than that. You know, I don't think I've ever come out of a HMO spending less than 60,000 pounds to convert it, you know, and that's that's a, a good price. You know, putting in bathrooms, sorry, putting in shower rooms, thinking about how the soil stack system is going to run through the house. Because you've got to remember, Mm. the house wasn't built with the the waste pipes running through the rooms. You've got to think about all this stuff. And then you're thinking about having bigger boilers put in water tanks. How's the water pressure going to be handled? And stuff like, is the supply into the house big enough for the water to start with? So it isn't just, let me buy this house and I'll stick a bathroom here, stick a bathroom here. You have six showers going on in the morning and someone washing the dishes, you're going to soon know about it, you know, if the water pressure isn't right. So it's, uh, it's not, you know, the, there's a higher risk there in terms of
0: refurb as well. Yeah, I think I would start with like a four or five bed, minimo, whatever you yeah. want to call them. I wouldn't go straight into a 32 bed unless I was jadying with someone who had done that many beds before. That's just me personally. It doesn't mean that people listening can't or shouldn't. That's just what I would, that's just what I would do. Um, James calculating risk. So for you now moving forward and just, I guess, generally when you have deals, like how are you calculating the risk and where is your mind at when you're looking at a deal? Like what are you thinking about risk? You know what? As you could
1: probably tell from some of the podcasts that we've done together now and shows, I'm one of those people that I don't really look at the details too much, you know, but, Over the last six months to eight months, I have started looking at the details a lot more because, you know, I've been speaking to a lot of people that look at details and they look at details on day one. And what really amazes me is there's some really clever people out there that analyze risk so much, you know, they will do a worst case scenario, a best case scenario, a mid scenario, and then they'll do a worst, worst case scenario. And then they'll do a, you know, what happens if doomsday comes over and all this happens and they've calculated everything so they can see on paper exactly what's going on whereas I won't go to that level you know because I haven't had to maybe I've been lucky with the market maybe I've been lucky here and there doing it the way I have but I think my level of risk now I still want to go all in and go big but off the back of that I'm now spending a lot more time looking at deals and analyzing stuff and reaching out for help. You know, look, you've got to look at it this way. When you start a pension, yeah, you start a pension, your pension advisor will say to you, look, your money's going to be invested into the stock market or it might be invested into here or there. They ask you straight away, what is your level of risk like? Are you a risk taker? Are you a higher risk taker? Or are you someone who likes to play it safe? And based off the answers you give them, they then invest your money into certain things for you. So if you say, look, you know, I don't want to take any risks. I want to keep my money nice and secure. They're going to put you into an investment that's going to get you a lower return. If you say mid, they're going to put you into something mid that's going to get you something distance, sorry, um, something okay. And if you say you're a high risk taker, they're going to put you into some, you know, some higher stocks that are going to get you some higher rewards. But there's also high losses there. And it's the same with property. If you, if you look at property as in terms of your pension or how you would uh, assess your level of risk for a pension – some might say a buy-to-let is very, very low risk. You know, it's a low risk investment. Whereas HMO might be mid, and a commercial might be a very, very high risk investment. But I think personally, everybody needs to take a moment to work out what their risk level is like. How are you as a, as a, you know, how do you handle risk? Just look back in life. You know, can you take it? If shit hits the fan and you lost everything, would you be able to take it, or are you going to turn around and be like? Oh my God, I'm going to jump off that bridge and kill myself. You know, you need to understand what your level of risk is personally. And I think that comes with time. And if you're not good at assessing a deal, sometimes I'm not good at assessing a deal or I will overlook something, send it out to someone. There's loads of people out there that are way better than you. And I'm one of the first people to put my hands up and say, look, sometimes I ain't good at stuff. So I will go and find someone who's great at that and say, listen, can you do this for me? You know, or can you give me a hand with this? And that also helps you manage your risk. If you're stuck and you're thinking, oh man, is this good? Is this bad? Is this good? Is this bad? Get a first, get a second pair of eyes on it. Get a third pair of eyes on it. Get a fourth pair of eyes on it and help them manage your risk level.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think I think you know more tangibly, I guess, what I look at is the, I think that worst, I, I don't look at best case. I mean, I might do it just to be like, oh, let's just get happy for like a minute and see what happens. But I'm just looking at, what is the okay case and what is the worst case? So on my spreadsheet and on like the property doer spreadsheet, I'll just change the end value down by five, down by two, down by ten, down by whatever. I'll I'll up the refer by a little bit. I'll just literally manipulate the figures and be like, okay, if this goes wrong, even with the contingency, even with a, a conservative end value, can I deal with this? You know, is this within my criteria? And then I sometimes, I'll actually go back at the pictures or the video or my builder and say, look, this is the kind of quote I've got, or this is what I'm thinking. Or look at the pictures again and just be like, is the refit going to cost more? What am I missing? I'll kind of re-go through it. Mm. And sometimes, well, most, well, I guess often actually, you know, the, a price I have to offer to make this deal work is just not going to work. Because the worst case or even the semi-worst case is just so low on my return on cash employed that I'm just like, mm this is not worth it. And it's annoying because you're like, Oh, well if it happens best case, then it's a great deal. But how often in property does it happen? Best case? <laughs> not that much. I don't think right when it does. And I've had a few of them. It's like, oh mate, it's a great it's, feeling. It's, but the thing is that, that that is the thing that you don't get when you start out, when you go on these courses <clears throat> and they tell you, Oh, every deal is going to be amazing. No, like when it's we bullshit. have a good deal, you can see how happy we are. Cause it's fucking rare, right? Like it's yeah. rare. So, you know, that just shows you the realism and and the kind of risk that you have to the risk things you have to take into account. I mean, you know, obviously there's things you don't really think about, like what if the house catches fire? It's like, well, you've got insurance. So there's some elements of risk that, you know, you don't think about, but I think having a spreadsheet and just manipulating the figures in, in a positive way, well, not a positive way, but playing with them and saying, like you said, can I deal with these situations? I was actually, um, teaching someone property who's in, who's in uh, Instagram and his spreadsheet is sick. Yeah, He has a best case, okay case and worst case. And it does it automatically for him. So when he puts yeah. it in, I was like, yo, it shows instantly. I like to play around with it and mentally go through that, but you know, add to our spreadsheet, create one that shows you these cases. Um, Because you need to you need to understand. And if it's your weak point, if it's something you're not good at, like James said, send it to someone who is, you know, like there'll be a fair exchange of value somewhere.
1: And, And you know what, guys, you know, if you've committed to a deal, you know, you've made an offer to an agent, you're 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 going through a deal. It's going through legals, whatever. If you look at that deal and you get a second or third opinion on it and suddenly your opinions change of the deal, you know, you think, okay, this isn't a great deal anymore uh oh man you're distracting me with your filter stage (laughs) yeah so you look at it and you think this isn't a great deal anymore don't be afraid to pull out of it you know if you need to pull out of something because the odds have changed or something suddenly moved or it's just not working in your favor anymore Uh. walk away from it you know explain to the agent you know, maybe take the agent out for a meal or cover his cost or whatever. Just make sure you maintain that relationship. But don't ever be afraid to walk away from a deal, even if you're committed to that deal, even if you're close to exchange with that deal, and something doesn't feel right or something doesn't stack. Because the worst thing you want to do is get into it knowing that it could possibly be a bad deal. Manage your even after, even after you've committed,
0: you need to manage your risk. You know. I agree. And I think, you know what, it's something that when you're starting out, especially you are going to look at your deals, you're going to look at your spreadsheet and you're going to be like, Oh, but actually it, maybe if the refills a bit cheaper, it will work. And maybe if we get a good end value, it will work. And, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. you tend to kind of massage the figures and not actually say, this is risky. Cause you've done a hundred viewings, you've done 40 viewings. You're like, Oh, I just want a freaking deal. And then you your, your mind is kind of like, Oh, that works. that works don't because when it when you pay for it later on you're just going to be like why why did I do that you know um and you You know what it is Ted. people
1: do not talk about this thing in property courses or wherever they don't talk about this stuff the importance oh my god you're dressed as a dog now come on leave them filters man. they're distracting me it's a puppy it's not a dog it's a puppy whatever it is so um People don't talk about this stuff because you know what? It's not the nice stuff. It's not the attractive stuff. It's not the stuff that sells. People don't say, go away and analyse your deal. Look at your figures. But I would say if they started teaching that on property courses, you'll probably get a lot more sign-ups on a course because they're actually telling you the truthful thing about it. And something you just said there, Ted, you know, in the early days, you do do this. You look at your refurb and you think oh, if I got my boiler for 500 pounds cheaper, or if I didn't need some, if I didn't replace those windows, or if I didn't do this, if I don't address that lead issue on the ceiling or the roof even, I might be able to get this in. And then, you know, know, you're trying to talk yourself into a, you're trying to talk a okay or a bad deal into being a good deal. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do not ever talk yourself into a deal being good. One thing um, uh, Safe said to me the other day, was the other evening when I was speaking to him online about my deal, He said, you need to kind of, you know, you need to look at this. So, you know, if your multipliers from your uh, commercial values are times seven, he goes, do the deal based on times four or times five, lower everything. Don't go in at what the rates are. Put the rate of interest higher on the mortgage. Put the rates of interest higher on the bridge. Why? Because what's the best case scenario that they come in lower and you're left with more money and, you know, worst case is, if you had the bridge for a little bit longer and you've had to pay more fees, you've actually thought about it and it's actually in your spreadsheet. So over, over, you know, make sure you're estimating all of this stuff and don't massage it just to make your brain feel better or for you to feel better because that ain't going to make you no money at the end of the day. You know, the thing that's going to make you money is, is assessing your deal and the true figures that come out at the end of it.
0: Yeah. And prevention is always better than cure. Well, not if you're a pharmaceutical company, but there's no, there's no money in prevention. <clears throat> Anyways, but it's it's always better to not have to then halfway through be like, oh, two grand extra on the budget. So, and I've had that happen before. And thankfully, the buffers and margins were so big that it was like, nah, it's not too much of an issue. But you just you just don't want to be dealing with it. So, James, that, I think that, that kind of covers how to calculate risk. If anyone has any questions on calculating risk, if you have any maths questions or, or something – let us know, um, and we will we will answer them for you. So, um, James, the realities of risk. Now, um, oh, I like this one. with With your um, with your development. Hmm. With your development, are you, are you done playing with filters? Your yeah. uncle discovered yeah, technology. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um. Maybe just turn it off because it's distracting me now. Yeah. Good. When when you are <laughs> when you were dealing with your development, tell me what went wrong. Uh, d- not the life story, but just tell me everything that went wrong.
1: Okay. Uh, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. You know, everything I planned for didn't go according to plan. Um, so I think one of the biggest things was um, employing my first contractor where it went wrong. You know, I didn't, there's a risk in employing a contractor. Don't just go for a contractor where they say, you know, this guy earned you from the gym. So I thought, I've known him. He's done a bit of work for people. He's come recommended. He's going to be fine. He should know what he's talking about. First mistake I made, I didn't manage the risk there. What I should have done is manage the risk by going to see previous things that he's done. How was it? Speak to the people that he's worked with. Did he come in on budget? Did he say what he was going to do? Did it come in at, say, if he said 100 grand, did it come in at 100 grand or did it come in at 140 grand? So for me, number one, I didn't manage the risk of employing a contractor properly. I didn't think there was a risk, you know. I'm not going to claim to know it, or I didn't think there was a risk. I just thought, you get a builder, they're all great, and everything's going to be hunky-dory, and it wasn't. So things started going wrong from day one there. Um, Now, even when you employ a contractor, I would say you still need to be very, very heavily involved because one thing I realised, builders are great, yeah? But I'm not dissing any builders, but from my experience, what I found is some of them are pretty, pretty damn stupid. You know, they have trouble reading (laughs) stuff, you know, and there's a bloody drawing in front of you that says to you, it needs to be 2,200 mil from this wall. So why is it 4,200 mil? Oh, because I thought we could get away with it. It's like, what the hell, man? (laughs) It's like, it's like when you build a Lego model, yeah? It says, step one count four holes along and put a pin in you wouldn't count eight holes along and put a pin in because you know by the time you get to step 36 that car isn't going to look like a car it's going to look like a flipping elephant <laughs> you see what i'm saying and it's the same thing it is don't assume that a builder can manage himself you know and you got a you got to take it on yourself to think this there is a level of risk still when you have a contract and you've got to manage the risk. You can't expect him to manage it because you leave a builder to his own advice devices, and you tell him to build you a single extension. He might build nope. you a double extension. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, no matter. It doesn't matter how great the builder is. Yeah, it's only when they start working with you over time and they know how you work with risk, how you how you um, you know how you manage things, what they expect, the level of expectation that your relationship really starts to form. But in the beginning, you need to manage. You seriously need to manage that risk. So some of the things that went wrong for me was um, because I didn't manage the builder correctly, he started building this building at the wrong level. Now, this was a basement dug building. It shows you there's a line there. It goes down in the ground and it starts from there. It doesn't start from there. Now, what happens if you build a building from there and not from there? Foundations are not right and it can just
0: fall and have subsidence.
1: Well, the biggest thing is, Ted, it's going to end up being a lot bloody taller, isn't it? If it's, oh, not, yeah, if it's course, supposed to start and stuff, there yeah. and it's starting there, it's going to end up being a lot taller. Now, the thing that gets me is, is well, I look back now and it's all my bloody fault because I thought, here you go, do the project. I'll come and see you in six months' time when it's ready. <laughs> it don't work like that. Do not ever do that. Please, nope. for nope. the love of God, anybody out there getting into a new build, do not, trust your, do not trust anybody when you're doing this. If there's money involved and it's your hard-earned P going out every single week, mm-hmm. you want to make sure you're going down there And checking everything. So, number one, I didn't manage the builder, he built the building at the wrong height. What happens then? It has to all come back down again. Who covers the bill? He's looking at you like this, you know, you're looking at him like this. (laughs) You're both there like this. You know, there's a there's a long period of silence and you're trying to work out what's gonna go on here. But I'm glad that happened because that was totally my fault. I didn't manage risk. It was totally my fault that I didn't read any of the Well, I didn't go through the drawings with him. I just assumed that he would know what was going on. Um, So it shows you the higher risk a project you're getting into, there's a lot more shit that can go wrong. It's not just, oh, a couple of floorboards need replacing. I'm talking about a building needs to come down because the foundations ain't right. It's been built at the long level. And before you know it, you could be at £100,000 minus before you've even broke out the ground properly. And that's exactly what happened to me. So hence wow. the reason why I, um, I uh, you know I, I, I talk about it in in such depth because I realise it's a uh, it, if you're getting into new builds you need to manage you need to be very very uh, risk not risk adverse you need to be able to take risk and take high levels of pressure because there's going to be situations that are going to arise that are really going to um, going to test you, man. It's going to test you mentally. And this build really did test me mentally. There was times when I stood on that site. It's half complete. You know, I've shared it on my Instagram where the site is flooded. There was flipping rats there. It's flooded. I'm looking at this site thinking, I'm 100 grand down. I've got a flipping hole in the ground. I've got a builder who's just gone. When I tried to put a claim against him, he's got seven CCJs. He doesn't own his own house. And all that sign of stuff. And you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I'm going to get nowhere with this. And all because I did not manage the risk from day one. I took it from guy in the gym, Gary in the gym. Oh, James, yeah, go use Dave over there. You know, look, he's a good guy. He's a benching over there. You come and Dave. do your work it's for me. He's a fantastic builder. And you just take, you know, if you're a, if you what if you're one of those people, what you see is what you get. You normally take people on face value, but in construction and property, you cannot do that, man. You need to be doing your due diligence and making sure. That everybody is, uh, you know, doing what they're doing, and you're managing the risk yourself.
0: Yeah, I think also the fact he has seven CCJs is is maybe more of a, a warning that you should have done due diligence on him beforehand. Um, I yeah. always check: do people, you know, do they have CCJs? Basically, what I you're checking: can you sue this person? You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like you know, everyone's mm-hmm. protecting themselves. So when I work with someone, I'm checking: okay. Where is my insurance? What is my insurance yeah. mm. for this person? And yeah, having seven CCJs is, is but yeah. Catch, come on,
1: that that comes with time, right? Oh yeah, of course it
0: does. But that's that a lesson that people have learned yeah. now from you, which is start at the beginning. And mm. as much as you have to manage them, you have to also make sure that they are not, you know, someone like that or someone that can't be managed. Because some builders will say, "Now nah, leave me on site; I'll be fine." And no, they're like no, the no. worst. No, no, no. no, because they can't be managed. I think you know what taking the risk level totally down. How much have I ever been down on the site? Okay, I have one house right now that I may sell and make literally 10 quid. Yeah, so I'll basically make nothing. That's the worst. I mean, yeah, I may make minus five grand if I let it go for super cheap, and I might do that. Why? That's not even a Nando's, is it, man?
1: Must be a I know,
0: I just need a couple more quid. £11.10 is, is my Nando's order. Um, Just so everyone knows in case they want to, you know. So I'm, I'm just like, it, I haven't been down a hundred grand and I know that's in proportion you were in London. So of course, you know, it, it's different, but I still haven't been down a huge amount. And I just know and think with by to let, unless I have, you know, unless something's gone totally wrong, I'm, I'm not going to be down that much. Whereas with the development and as Richard Little always says, you can be down that much. You can be down that much in the planning stage. You could be down yeah. that much before you even dig in the ground. So for me, when it comes to the realities of risk, especially when you're investing from far, yes, there are things that can go wrong. Yes, they are issues that, you know, shit builders have done that I'm still having to sort of, you know, I've got a tenant moved in. He sent me like a whole report about what's wrong. And yet, we're getting it fixed though, within a week and happy days, not the kind of tenant experience I want, but that's due to previous crap builders. And But really, it's my fault. I didn't check these things in the property. When I sent someone to check, I didn't say to them, and this is what you kind of touched on, explicitly, like with the measurements, I didn't say, check this. Does this work? And I've learned with my builders, as much as my one is very experienced and I trust him to just, like, I don't have to tell him, again, maybe because it's a buy to let, I don't have to tell him, put this radiator a meter from the bath or make sure there's enough room for an adult to sit down on the toilet on the toilet because it's so simple. But when it comes to swag and certain things, I have to be prescriptive because he'll just take his own thing and be like, no, nah, these handles are shit, Ted. I'm going to fix. I'm like, no gold handles look good. So you have you know, to be very, you, know prescriptive. What it is, Ted, you can't leave anything to assumption.
1: Oh. You know, uh, assumption is such a bad thing in the property game because, you know, logically you think to yourself, put a light switch there near a door. You know, a an electrical contractor might think, "No, nah, that doesn't really work." I'm going to put it just over there. You know, it's weird how people assume stuff. We all learn in different ways. We all, you know, we all work in different ways. So don't leave anything to assumption. And you know, just touching back on that, uh, my uh, new development story. You want to hear something funny? Of so course. the other day, someone someone saw the contractor that I previously had on job. He's been going around telling everybody, "Oh, James ran out of money, so I had to walk off site." <laughs> you know i ran out of money so he had to well i almost ran out of money because of him but yeah he's been telling people that yeah um i ran out of cash so to walk off site and you know it was such a good thing that happened when i look back now because the second contracting firm i got involved they were actually a lot cheaper than what this so-called friend from the gym had quoted i'm sure he almost went like this away "Ooh, what can i get away with charging
0: him you James know? special yeah. That's it mate. He done a James special on James. On James got James, mate. It was James Squared. I got James, yeah. <laughs> James Squared. So I think the realities of risk are clearly very different. We're talking about a hundred grand versus maybe five grand loss, maybe. And your hundred grand was not on the point of sale, it was when you had a hole in the ground. So I hope people are realizing that that like that's scary as hell because what is this whole worth? Yeah, I know I had planning, so it is worth something. Let's, let's not... Yeah, but Tej, like, even if I tried to sell it in that condition
1: with planning, I might have sold it for 160 grand, but it's already cost me 110 to buy it. By the time I put the planning on it, it was another twenty thirty grand, and then I've spent another 100 on it that I've lost. So I would have been, would have been way out of pocket. So I was kind of back against the wall. You know, I had to keep fighting because the only way I was going to get out of this was to get this project built. And, you know, that's the only way I was going to recover from it. And a long period of the time, I thought to myself, you know what? If I just make my money back on this and I break even, I'm going to be happy. But to smash it and actually make some money out of it, I was way over the moment, you know, just simply. Good things happen to good people, I say, you know, and I, I bit my bottom lip and just carried on going, driving through, driving through. uh, re- Kept referring back to my mindset on when shit things happen and how to deal with it. And good things did happen in the end.
0: I think that, like, that even highlights the stress and like anxiety can give you when you said you're, you're basically a hundred grand down, even if you sold it and you're a hundred grand down in the process in in progress. That is like, that's tough to deal with, you know, like, especially because Mm -hmm. physically you look at it and you think, yeah, this is literally freaking mud. The only choice I have now, even if I break even is to complete it. And it's not nice when you only have one choice because Hmm. with a buy-to-let, if something went wrong halfway through, I know I can flog it in an auction. I know I can get rid of it because someone like me will come in and say, refurb, project, BRR, I'll have it or something. So, And I would have never spent so much just because buy-to-lets to to, to do that. I mean, look, if you're doing a buy-to-let in Earls Court in central London, then yeah, maybe you can be in a similar situation because you're spending you know, half a mil on a refurb or whatever. But generally speaking, doing the BRR in the north or whatever, you're not going to face those kind of ch- those kind of issues. And that's not necessarily a good or bad thing. So, James, tell us the figures of this deal, which may sweeten the headache. Uh, yeah, sure,
1: sure. Um, can I, I might even be able, can I share it on the screen?
0: You're the host, James. You can do what you like, mate. Oh,
1: uh, uh, yeah, I forgot about that.
0: Everyone on IG, I will turn my camera around so you can see. Uh, okay, let me just share screen. Are you ready? Oh, it's like Inception, look. Can you see that? Yep, it's up. Okay,
1: so this is what the site looked like um, when I bought it. It was a site just at the back of a garden in SW17. Uh, nothing fantastic. The reason I bought it was because I knew it was, you know, the person before wasn't reading the planning details and I knew I could do something with it because I read the planning details. So, uh, total cost to acquire and build came in at 358. It was valued at 525, which just simply blew my mind. You know, when it got valued at that, I was just like, Jesus Christ, what has happened here? The market grew so much. Uh, We refinanced it for uh, 394. Meaning, I had a lump sum left over in my pocket of thirty six grand, and it's on a monthly rental now for one thousand six hundred and fifty. This house broke every single ceiling price for a one bed in the area, Oof. and it also, uh, and it also broke the rental income in the area for uh, uh, one bed flats as well. I think i got some. Wow. Oh, I've got some pictures here of it, so you can see there how it was built. It was quite a high spec building. Again, it's been dug into the ground. It is a one bedroom house. Um, And just to think in London, that's the kind of level of stuff you could be playing with in terms of money. And, you know, it it, it blew my mind when it all came, not that one, it blew my mind when it all came together. But, you know, we didn't spare any expense. I mean, those, these doors up here that you see up in the corner here, you know, they were, they were £15,000 because it opens the whole house out onto the ground. You know, so I had, I had a vision with this place. The vision was that I'm going to break every single uh, comparable in the area. It had a full sound system, full light automation system. It's got a little balcony here as well, where you can step out onto the glass.
0: Uh, mm. Underfloor
1: heating, built-in wardrobes, everything. It was a it was a very uh, nice place, and you know, uh, it, I know it's great because the you know the tenants when they ring you up during lockdown and say. James, you know what? I've been so lucky to be living in such a beautiful place during lockdown. It's made <laughs> lockdown such a joy. And that was my vision complete because I wanted to de- deliver a, a high a high quality product that offered a high quality of living. And, you know, getting a review like that was, uh, was uh, paramount in reaching my vision. So, yeah, there you have it. My uh, bottom line is, guys, if you're there and, uh, you know, you're about to, shit's about to hit the fan or you could lose it all, Sometimes you just got to carry on going. You know, that that old saying, when you're in hell, you might as well carry on going to get out the other end. And this was
0: hell. Um, But it all worked out in the end. Well, there we go. And I think those numbers and the fact that it was done in London, you know, show us that, yes, developments can be pretty rewarding. Um, Like, that's pretty epic to do that. Um, But it doesn't mean you need to or want to do them. Mm. It just means it's a potential option that, as you can see, works. But... Is never going to be smooth, but it's the same with buy to let. You know, some people say they get sick of buy to lets because you put in the same amount of effort where you could put into something like this. Although I think it's very, very different the effort you put in and get a different reward. But it all depends on on you and what you want to do, right? Um, I think if we contrast that to the buy to let side, um, James, do you remember? Because this is how we can actually compare them. What? Ah, so you that deal you pulled out money, you left in no cash, right? Yeah, nothing. And, what and does that's it, in London. And what does it cash flow a month? So profit after mortgage, after whatever. So after all the costs and everything, it still gives me 500 quid in my pocket. So 500 quid a month, you're left in nothing. So it's for argument's sake, it's 100% return, right? It's more than that, but it's 100%, right? Don't, don't forget, I've still got 25% equity in the property. I only took
1: 75% out. Now being Ooh. London, every 10 years in London, you seem to have a massive boost where property seems to double. Now, If this is going up every year, there's going to come a point where I will get all the money back out again that's still sitting in there. You know, it's going to carry on growing, carry on growing. And it's giving me rental money every single month. Uh, So deals like this are just they're just great, man. And, And the fact is, if I ever needed to
0: sell it, it'd be snapped up because it's such a unique property. Mm. And I guess that is de-risking in itself by doing it in a place like London with this kind of appreciation, with this kind of market movement and the fact that it's so unique with the type of bricks you use, the location, everything, means that sometimes sometimes you can de-risk something by making it awesome. If you have an incredible product, you might have lots of competition, you might have lots of challenges, but because it's so good, it's like, well, the risks become a lot more minimal. you know. Whereas if you bought a house in Worcestershire in the middle of the country some bungalow, and you were trying to sell it for half a million, you've got a much more limited pool compared to your house that's still worth half a million, but it's a big, big difference in areas and actually risk.
1: You know what it is? If you're looking to break the ceiling or deliver such a high-end product, you've got to do something different. You can't be doing the same as everybody else. You know, Everybody was saying to me, James, you're crazy putting a full automated sound system in there with Sonos amps in every single room. The reason was, Young professionals want to listen to music. You might be in the bedroom. I, you know, I even went to the extent there's speakers in the shower, so you can have a shower, you can connect your system up, you could be playing music in the shower while somebody's listening to music elsewhere in the house. And for me, I actually put myself in this place. Okay, I'm probably not as young as the people living there, but I envisioned what it would be like for people to be in this place. Uh, number two, I wanted to open the house out onto the garden. So I even thought about, okay, people walking around on the tiled floor you don't want it to be cold. You want your feet to be nice and toasty. You know, if you're walking outside onto the brick, you're coming back inside, you want your feet to be toasty. All these little things were thought about, uh, little balcony areas, windows to bring light in, you know, using a German contractor to put the glass in and all these little things helped when the valuation report was done, all of this stuff, you know, for the value to say, wow, this is a stunning house. I can see no expense has been spared, you know? Um, it, you know, you've got to have that vision. You've got to have that vision before you start on where you're going with it. And I'm, you know, I'm glad it kind of turned out in the right way it did because it could have been a bloody disaster.
0: Mm. And if we compare that to buy to let, which is the total other end of the spectrum, we're talking about risk here, the return on cash left in, in a percentage-wise, is actually the same and can be the same. He's getting 500, I'm getting three 350 in my best buy to let. But but on a percentage-wise, we are getting the same number. So when you look at it, actually, you have to kind of say to yourself, as a return on investment, they can be the same on a spreadsheet. Yes, you get more from certain things. And this was a development of a house. If James did a development of flats or a development of, you know, something else, we could be talking totally different numbers here, right? But you can see how, you can see why buy-to-let or why HMOs are still attractive, against developments when some of the returns are technically the same you know you put your money in stocks you put it in some something else and they both give you eight percent you both get eight percent right so Mm. you can kind of see that actually the risk is a lot lower but the money you get back or your return investment can be the same or better or around you know so just consider that when you're thinking about development in 10 years in 10 years time
1: Uh, When this place is going through the roof again, uh, a similar buy to let might not be going through the roof, you know. And the fact that you've got a massive chunk of money still sitting in
0: it, but that's because of the location, isn't it? If you did this buy to let in, I don't know, somewhere else, you may not see that, right? Mm. So it's because of your location. But if if, let's say we let's say you did a new build in York and I did a buy to let in York, Mm. it may be more comparable, right? But now comparing your London one to something in Wales is totally uncomparable because of the growth you're going to have. But I think the strategy in itself offers the same, can offer the same sort of growth depending on the area, basically. Mm -hmm. So James, do you want to leave anyone with a a comment about risk? Um, Yes, I think, you need to go away and decide
1: what your level of risk is before you even look into a strategy. You need to work out what you are like as a person. If you get very, very shaky at the first sign of something going wrong, then that identifies that your risk levels are quite low. Um, if you're someone who's you know balls deep, all in, doesn't care, then your risk appetite might be a lot higher. But you have got to remember, when shit hits the fan and things go wrong, you got to be able to deal with the. You got to be able to deal with the feelings, the emotions, and everything else that's going to kick in when things don't go right. Um, you know I've been able to refer I was able to refer back to how my mind felt when I was in these situations with losing my business so I knew okay I'm feeling this emotion I can deal with this emotion I know how to overcome this I've been here before Um, if you can't do that then I would strongly advise stick to where your risk appetite is at this current point in time and that's not to say that your risk appetite won't go up and that you'll get more riskier as time goes on but You know, risk can always be managed. Even high risk can always be managed by looking at entry level, mid-level and worst case scenarios. So it's all about how you manage the risk and knowing your risk level.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, And I think do whatever works for you, you know, just because James is doing this, just because I'm doing this, it doesn't mean anything do whatever works for you and your risk appetite. We have one question actually before we log off, James. Um, Chilena from M7 Properties says, how often should you be on site, especially when you invest further away? I, I, I use a lot of pictures and videos, but when it comes to like major milestones in a refurbishment, naturally I'll be in the area anyway because I'm looking at properties or viewings. So once or twice a month, I would say for buy to let um however i have people who and i also have certain trades i use that are not part of my builder's trades that act as my eyes and ears and agents and friends and so i can be on site i'm like an octopus you know i could be on site a lot more times than i'm actually physically on site so that's what i think for buy to let's as long as you're when you're starting off with a new builder if you can i'd be going once every week once every two weeks just to just checking in just seeing what's happening you know making sure they know you're watching them like a hawk. James? Mm. My,
1: my advice on that would be if you're managing something at a distance uh, you want to be requesting a lot of for photographs before you're making a payment and almost yeah. set up your own kind of system so your builder knows okay Friday lunchtime I need to stop n- take photos of this 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 and this I need to take a detailed video a 360 video not just of the nice part but of mm-hmm. everything and then you should also, once you've signed off a bit of work, if you're working at a distance and making a payment, you should still have a small clause in there saying that when I make a physical uh, inspection, if something is wrong, I can pull you up for you to do this again. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, cool. yeah. Great points. Amazing. Well, everyone, this will be live on our podcasts in a few days. James, what do we always forget to do? What we always forget to ask. Legal.
1: You forget to do is um, take a screenshot of this uh, zoom call and share it on Instagram, Facebook and tag us both in. And we'll give you a little pause as Tez always does with
0: his. Uh... Oh, I... oh, I can't take a picture. My phone's on the stand. That's fine. I-, I just messed that up. And please, if you're listening on the podcast, please leave a review. And also the British uh, Great podcast, British awards. podcast off the po- British podcast awards are open. Uh, we've sent you all an email if you're on the mailing list today. Please just type in British Podcast Awards. And I'm sure you've got multiple email addresses, so you can vote one for me and one for uh, James. Thank you. Thanks very much, everybody. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in to the J2 Hub podcast with James Sahota. If you like the podcast, feel free to subscribe so you never miss another podcast from James. And if you got value from this podcast, do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast content from. And remember, you're never too late to become something you truly want to become.